Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. TCU makes their way over there to Dallas, beats the SMU Mustangs 42-34. to At one point, I thought the, the boat race was on, but SMU had a lot of scrap inside of them. The game goes down to the end, but the Frogs make a statement. The Frogs get a win, and we will talk about that and a whole lot more around the landscape of college football on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, Jeremy, this is the game that everyone had been waiting for since uh, Sonny Dykes was hired, leaving SMU to make their way over there to TCU to become the new head coach. You know, I don't know how big of a deal it was. We're going to get into that. It seems like there may have been some uh, feisty comments in the stands and, and on the field. But, you know, we all kind of had this game circled. And if we say, hey, it's no big deal, you're saying it is a big deal. Just what was your what was your takeaway from, from this game? And we'll get into some of the nuts and bolts of it. You're there. You're you're experiencing the environment. What was it like for TCU and SMU to finally take the field and to see the Frogs get their first win since 2018? Well, I guess starting with the environment, it wasn't near as hostile as I was expecting it to be. You had your boos and whatnot, um, but I was expecting kind of a crazy crowd. Um, I didn't think it was a sellout by any stretch. If it was, they're just counting tickets that were sold because the crowd didn't look like the, it, the stadium didn't look like it was full. I mean, there was there was empty seats all over the place. Thought TCU traveled really well. Uh, they had a, a ton of fans there. It got interesting, you know, after TCU ran out to that twenty eight seven like you twenty eight seven lead, like you mentioned, SMU just scrappy guys. They they fought hard. They played to the last whistle, and you you, you admire that. But you look at TCU. There's still a lot of things they got to fix. Um, offensively and defensively, I think anyone walking away from that game can can say that, especially um, some key positions. But yeah, I mean, Sonny was he was real modest the whole week about this game. Didn't want to make it about himself. Didn't didn't want to make his players go out there and win one for him or anything like that. But he did he did mention at the end of the game the fans TCU fans are cheering. Sonny Dykes are yelling his name and. He, he said, you know what, I appreciated that, but it kind of embarrassed me at the same time because he's just not he's just not that kind of guy. But I think overall um, it was good for TCU to get that win, shake that two-game losing streak, and uh, return the skillet over to Fort Worth. Well, let's be honest. There's only one sellout at that game, and that's Sonny Dykes because he left, left SMU and he sold out to go to TCU. There's only one sellout at that game. I didn't walk around the boulevard or anything like that before. I, I know TCU; uh, they had a pretty big tailgate. They had a lot of lot of students over there, and students traveled well to the game. But I, I mean, I just, I mean, there was we're, we're in the press box, mind you, so I don't I don't get a lot of the the crowd noise and, and whatnot. You can't hear some boos and whatnot, but I, I think it was pretty classless of SMU fans to to cheer when Alon Ali got hurt. Um, that was that was pretty classly class classless. Sorry, of the fan base to do that. Not the entire fan base, but there's a lot of idiots that were cheering when he got hurt and basically saying that's what happens when when you go out or when you leave TCU, leave SMU for TCU. You deserve it. Stupid stuff like that. But other than that, I think it was pretty calm. It wasn't it wasn't near the crowd that it got built up to be. 
All right. Well, we're going to go through a series of kind of hypothetical questions, kind of an either or. And you, you can chuckle at them. You can laugh at them. You can call them a bunch of dad jokes. But you just use them as an invitation to give an answer and go a little bit deeper. You've already kind of touched on this first one. But, you know, at the game, 11 o'clock this last Saturday, is that a hostile environment or is that a whiny country club patio? Which which better describes what, what you experienced? <laughs> it wasn't hostile. I promise you that. It was, it was, I've seen a lot more hostile environments and I guess you could say that was a whiny country club atmosphere. They were, they were all whining because Sonny wasn't their coach anymore. So they're, they're whining because Sonny's not their coach anymore. You know, one of the things I haven't heard and, you know, our SMU was, was, was off to a two and one start. You know, they were fighting to get this win to go to three and one before they um, were really getting into the meat of the AAC play. Uh do they like Rhett Ashley? Do they feel like he's are, are, is anybody running their mouth saying Rhett Ashley's going to be a better coach than Sonny Dykes? Do they even care about the state of the program on the field moving forward, or is it just looking in the rearview mirror and whining that they lost their coach to SM, the best coach that they've had since Ron Meyer to, to TCU? I think it's 50-50. I think there are some fans that obviously like Rhett Lashley, feel like he's going to do good, and you know give. SMU fans credit. They were a bunch of them. If you go over to their board today, they were saying that TCU is probably going to be the best team they see the rest of the way. And the way they played them tough gives them some optimism. Um, but there are still a lot of people that same thing as TCU fans. They, they don't like Gary Patterson because he went to Texas. And if Gary Patterson's anywhere else in the country, that's not a rival of TCU, then they're probably not ticked off at him right now. But SMU fans, you know, Sonny made a joke earlier this week. He said, you know, they have every right to be. I'm not their coach anymore. They're, they're cheering for their coaches and their players, and I'm no longer over there. He said, heck, if I bought a ticket, I'd probably boo myself too. So he he took it in stride. But I think for SMU fans, they're still obviously hurt that he's over there coaching the rival school. Um, you're, you're leaving a, a program that's a G5 program, let's be honest. They're, they're going to be in conference realignment despair here here soon i mean smu is one of those teams where you don't know where they're going to end up um, when all this thing starts shaking down and i feel pretty good about tcu's chances to land on their feet but if i'm an smu yeah. fan and smu just lost the three best teams in their conference well, absolutely. The flagships. absolutely yeah ucf and cincinnati and houston yeah so you're you're talking you're talking about that and they're kind of in a despair right there for for where they're going to be they don't want to get left out and then now their coach that took him to new heights the last four years, he's coaching that their rival that's already in a P5 conference, Big 12s, has added those three aforementioned schools you just said. And um, it's it's a there's there's a lot of, uh, for lack of better terms, jealousy, I guess you could say. And it's even it's even more hurtful for them when Sonny Dykes, everyone wanted him to fall on his face and he's got TCU with the 3-0 record right now. And he's already beat one of the teams that TCU hasn't beaten since 2018, and that's SMU. That's right. Well, let's pivot then. We think about this game. I, I remember there was one year, I've been a Frog fan since 1994, where the Frogs and the Mustangs did not play, and it was basically just a, an issue of of, confer- of scheduling and conference realignment, and then as soon as they could line it back up, they lined it back up. You, you know, you ask a Frog fan if they think we should keep playing SMU, and you're going to get the, – the younger you are, the more you're going to vomit when you think about this game. And the older you are, 
the more you say, well, you know, this is a tradition and this is everything that's right about college football. And I'm kind of somewhere in the middle that there, there's no, nothing to gain from beating SMU. And there's a lot to lose by losing ten, to them. So do you see this game as, as, as a heated rivalry of the old Southwest Conference or just something annoying on the schedule where you exhale when it's over? I think I'm in agreement with a lot of people. You have really nothing to gain out of this and a lot more to lose when you play this game. I, I think TCU is doing just fine with their rivals, with with Texas Tech, with Baylor. You want to call those rivalries, especially Baylor. I, I think that's probably more – you have more on the line, obviously, when you play those two programs. Um, and like I said, uh, it, it's, a, it's a great uh, tradition, SMU and TCU, and – You'd hate to see you'd hate to see it go away, but I don't. This isn't Bedlam. This isn't Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. This isn't Texas, Texas A and M. Um, and I'm not I'm not trying to talk bad of TCU or SMU with that, but I just don't feel like there's anything to gain as long as SMU is in a G five conference. Now, hypothetically speaking, if this game. Uh, for whatever reason, if you have crazy realignment and SMU ends up in a Power Five conference, then yeah, maybe let's let's see how that that helps because you you help your strength of schedule and, and everything else. But I just the only reason I really like the rivalries because it only takes me forty five minutes to get to SMU, <laughs> so I don't really care. Uh, I'm, I'm with a lot of people. I, I I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't hate it if this game went away. Now, I wouldn't hate it if this game went away either. If they somehow ended up, you know, in a reconfigured Pac-12, you know, if the Pac-12 added San Diego State and SMU, which I think is is the longest of long shots, um, that you know, it's probably worth keeping it on there. Um, they're going to be elevated then, so we might as well, you know, play that game. But at the same time, I would love to get somebody else on the schedule. I, I would love to get. Uh, I would rather. I would rather get a like a true. G5 team, like somebody from the Mountain West to just come in and play at home and get an extra home game every single year. I think we should have a cupcake FCS at home every year, uh, a G5 at home every year, and then have a home and home every year with a Power 5 team. Right. That would be my ideal. And then then you play your nine Big 12 games and, you know, hopefully get a, get into the conference title game. So that that that's kind of where I am at. But I think I think just the annoyance of the SMU fans and I, I know that that is nowhere on the calculus for Jeremiah Donati and maybe even for people above him. It just seems to be off the rails right now. And probably that's a good reason to keep it rather than a good reason to, to drop it. Because when people say it's not a rivalry, there's nothing to gain from them, they're not our peers, that's when you absolutely have to play that game. Right. Because that, that's like sports talk radio, you know, that, that it just gins things up. Well, let's get on to the field. Let's talk about what went right in this game. Uh, let's start with our boy, Max Duggan. All right, so we got Max, who is out there shooting, uh, throwing the ball, 22 of 29. He goes for 278 yards, but let's be real honest here. What do you think? 95 of those yards should have been uh, attributed to the running game. <laughs> so, you know, we got we got the, the, the shovel pass to Darius Davis where he takes to the house for 80 yards. That, that lateral passing game that is basically a run game, it's barely even a screen. And, and Max gets all of those chunk 
all of those all of those chunk yards added to his passing game. He did have a good game throwing the ball. But let's focus on Max. Do you think Max is a lot more like Jeff Ballard or Trevon Boykin after this game? I mean, I think he's he think I, I think Jeff Ballard. I mean, if you're going to compare all three of them, uh, obviously, what I like about Max this year is he's not taking off and running as much. Um, he's sitting more in the pocket. He's got good ball placement, and he just has that grit about him. And that's what Jeff Ballard had. Now Boykin, we know we know all about his arm, his arm strength, um, his athleticism, his electric plays. I mean, I don't think there's anyone that's going to come close to having the type of electric plays Boykin had, um, unless you start putting Sam Jackson out there here pretty soon, but I don't think Sam Jackson's completely ready to, to take over the offense. But um, I, I would say Duggan's definitely more Jeff Ballard. Well, what would be your assessment of him in this game? Obviously, you know, a big chunk of those yards are from what, what amount the handoffs, but I still feel really good about Max 2022 compared to Max 2019 through Max 2021. He's got more command um, of the offense. I feel like everything has been simplified. He can still break away and run. He is being instructed not to, and that doesn't mean he can't, and it doesn't mean he won't. But I just feel better about Max Duggan as the quarterback in this new scheme and in this new era than I did the previous three years. Am I, are my eyes wrong, or do you share that assessment? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things about him, and I even asked, them, asked him this question after the game if he worked a lot on just – the, the pass is just the touch of the ball. And he admitted that he was probably making some throws where he shouldn't have been having the, the type of velocity he had on it. And he said Sonny Dykes and, and Garrett Riley really helped him with that. And I really feel like he's focused a ton of not being known just as a runner. And I think when people look at Max, they think of, man, he makes explosive plays with his feet and he overthrows his, his receivers. He's not very accurate. And I think this year what we could say about him is he's pretty dang accurate. And, hey, look, he can still run if he needs to. And uh, I think he's I think he's playing the best we've seen him play now. You've got the naysayers are going to say, well, this was against Tarleton and SMU. Let's see how he does against OU. And uh, I can't wait. I mean, I, he, had a, he had a huge game last year against OU. And people are going to say, well, OU's defense was like Swiss cheese last year. But this is a this is a Max Duggan that I think that has improved dramatically as a passer. Well, you know, we'll get to it towards the end of the show, but we saw another quarterback that was primarily known as a runner have an amazing game against uh, Max against Oklahoma's defense last night and uh, Martinez. And I would be really curious to see what Max Duggan is going to be able to do. He's kind of got the same stereotypes that he's got good legs and maybe not the most accurate passer, but in a new system, in a new environment, it seems like things have really escalated for him at K-State. We'll see what Max Duggan can do next week against Oklahoma because Martinez kind of took it to the house last night and really ran rough shot over, um, over a Brent Venables defense that had looked pretty good so far this year. Yeah, I mean, I watched that game, and it was pretty fun, pretty fun to watch. Yeah, it was. Well, staying on the offensive side of the ball for just a little bit longer here, Kendra Miller, 17 rushes for 142 yards, averaging um, basically eight and a half yards, a carry, one touchdown, um, uh, ran the ball very, very well. Probably could have had more yards if there hadn't been an untimely whistle, which we'll get to in a second. 
but Kendra Miller is the bell cow for this offense in terms of running the ball. Do you see him more like Dwight Smith or Aaron Green? <laughs> Who's Dwight? Smith? I'm reaching back. I'm reaching back for the old guys. The ghost of Dwight Smith. You know, they're, the they're, ghost both, of from, Dwight they're Smith. both from East Texas, so that's saying something. Um, no, I think Aaron. Aaron was a really good runner, great cutting ability, but I don't think he has the overall speed that Kendra Miller has. I think. Kendra Miller has very deceptive speed. And when I say that, there's a lot of plays where you think he's going to get tackled for about a 15, 20-yard gain, and then all of a sudden he turns on the Jets and he's 20 yards down the field and the defensive backs are trying like crazy to angle him and just to get him out of bounds. I mean, that first play of the game against SMU, they got they got very lucky that that guy had an angle on him or Kendra's gone for a touchdown. Um, yep. So I would say, you know – Dwight Smith was incredible in, at Carthage in high school, and it's a shame we never got to see him play at TCU. So I would say uh, if you're just trying to compare apples to apples, I would say Aaron Green, but I think Kendra Miller's better. No, I think Kendra Miller is better as well, but we have to start giving some credit. And, you know, just because um, they're not 2015 Alabama – doesn't mean that this offensive line does not deserve some credit for improvement. That's all we were asking for. So what, what's your assessment? You know, obviously we got Kendra Miller. Uh, DeMarcado has obviously had a, had a pretty solid season. We'll get to him in a second. Where, how do you assess the offensive line up to this point? There was some shaky moments of pass protection. There were a couple times where I'm like, Max, why don't you take off and run when the pocket would collapse? But I feel like I, I would give the offensive line a B- minus to a B in this game. What's your take on 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 how the offensive line has been able to produce not only against SMU but everything up to this point to get the frogs to where they are? Well, I don't want the sour taste of SMU to ruin my overall evaluation of them. Um, they they played really well against Colorado in the second half, created running lanes. Obviously, they had a huge rushing attack in the second half, and then against Tarleton, they did a really good job protecting. There were some plays running the game where you'd hope they would. Uh, peel the defensive end inside and get bigger yards against Tarleton. Yeah, everyone was kind of expecting, hey, this is Tarleton. This is going to be a 300-yard top game on the ground. And then SMU, I mean, obviously they they had some good running yards that, you know, Kendra had some big plays that touchdown run by Amari. He had enough room to drive a truck through. I mean, it was really, really good run blocking. So, but Nelson Paul, I mean, he – he wasn't really known as a guy that could get in there and get after the quarterback. And uh, he really had his way with, with Coker and, and Coleman, the tackles. And that is, yes, he did. that is concerning. And, and there was a, there was a couple of plays where the interior of SMU's line got back there as soon as Max got the snap and Max is running for his life. And all of a sudden we're thinking back to 2019 where Max is running for his life every single play, it seemed like. But I would say the overall valuation for for the offensive line right now, I would say they are improved. Um, but I would give them, I'd give them a solid B right now. They were they were looking at a, a B plus before this SMU game. This SMU game has has given me some some concern, especially in pass protection. And I know a lot of people were saying, well, Max could step up. And there's a couple plays where Max got sacked even when he did step up. He was getting he was getting rushed from the interior because the guards were just getting beat. So there, and there were also a couple plays too, that 
I think Max, this is another thing that we saw where he's grown. And Sonny mentioned this after the game that maybe old Max tries to make something happen and force, force a throw. And you look at that and sometimes he might've had time to step up in the pocket, but good grief. The, the coverage was just there. SMU did a great job of covering. And, and, and I'm, I'm telling you right now, it's real easy for us to, to analyze and critique someone from a keyboard. But when you're taking a snap and you've only got, you've got five linemen blocking for you and a running back blocking for you. So you're six against four defensive linemen and they're dropping seven and you're still getting pressured. That tells me right there, it wasn't a good day for the offensive line. So that uh, that's something that you have to consider when you're evaluating Max not stepping up and, and getting away and avoiding the sack. I mean, sometimes he just didn't have any any other way to get out of it. No, I'm going to agree with you on that. You know, everything that we have evaluated, you know, what what that we're getting more and more data as the as the season goes on. And granted, the Frogs only played three games as opposed to most teams that have played four games. But one piece of data we have to um, include right now is that Colorado is the worst Power Five team in the country. <laughs> they they may not win a game. I mean, they may not win a game. The game I'd, I want to see is Colorado against Colorado State because that that is the butt bowl. I mean, like that is that is a that is trash on trash. And so when we talk about, oh, we, we looked really good running the ball in the second half against Colorado, all that makes me ask is, why were we not running the ball well in the first half against Colorado? So, Because yeah. uh, it's not Kansas. Kansas is not the worst team in the Power Five. Uh, no, not anymore. We'll talk about that no, later. Not, no, we, they are not. We'll talk about them in a second. All right, so just the subset of the run game. We obviously look at the offensive line. We're really excited everything about Kendra Miller and his ability to run the ball, his explosiveness, just running north and south. But uh, Amari DiMicardo, you know, I can't quite decide if he's TikTok, if he's more concerned about TikTok or his Medicare supplement, because he he feels like he's been here seven years. But all this guy does, you know, is is he, he averaged over 10 yards a carry, two touchdowns, 63-yard touchdown at the perfect moment. I mean, the perfect moment. Yeah, what we're gonna we're gonna have kind of the swan song of Demarcado all season, I think, where he comes in, he runs for seventy five yards, and he has two touchdowns, and he knows how to get a key 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 score or a key first down at just the right time. How do you assess what he's done up to this point, and specifically what we saw on the field against SMU? I love Amari. I mean, he hopefully he's grown uh, as much of a fan base from TCU fans as he has with the media because the media loves him. Amari's just a, he's just a do it all guy. And I know he, he took some heat because everyone looked at last year and he's in there running the ball and everyone's going crazy. Why is Zach Evans not in there? Why is Kendra Miller not in there? Why is this guy in there? But man, just talk about a guy that is a workhorse. And I mentioned it last year, the, the guy is the most versatile back on the team. He may not be the biggest. He may not be the fastest or the strongest, but combining all of those attributes that a running back has, he's probably the best one that has a combination of all those skills. And so I think he's become a vital part of that offense. And when you got another completely new coaching staff that trusts him the way they do, what's that say about Amari? I think, I think you're talking about a kid that um, – is very respected by the coaches, very respected by his teammates, and 
hey, man, if the game's on the line and I see number three back there, I'm not worried one bit at all. I'm, I'm ready for not him to make bit. a play. No. And where, what he, where he's got a leg up is he's the best back out of the backfield. Yes. Like, yeah, he knows exactly what to do. And he, he, he can block. He can step in and chip. And he can sneak out and pick up uh, as, as the the the, escape, the safety valve and be able to get upfield for 13 yards real quick and make one guy miss. So he is he he he's not the best running back, but he's the best back to have on the field in a moment like that. And I think we both know what we're talking. about. You know what he catches he catches good, but I think Kendra Miller had the catch. My my son told me Brody's like Kendra Miller had the catch of the year on that little catch he had that was kind of behind they they threw it back shoulder and he oh yes yeah that was a heck of a catch yes (laughs) i don't even know he caught it during the game i'm sitting there did he catch that thing had to see the replay for that one now we need to get the broadster on um on the frog cast sometime get get some get some young people inside into the program (laughs) yeah wouldn't be yeah we're not doing (laughs) maybe all right Maybe we'll revisit that one. <laughs> how, come, uh, how come Quentin Johnson doesn't have 18 catches? <laughs> oh, well, let's flip over to the other side of the ball. We got a lot to say about this. So this is the best analogy I have. Our defense, specifically our D-backs, was it burnt toast or burnt bacon? You know, burnt bacon means it's burnt, but it's still bacon, yeah. so you like it. But burnt toast is just burnt toast. And, man, I saw a lot of burnt toast on Saturday. Take us inside your assessment yeah, of defense. I, I think it's been – I'm not going to I'm not gonna knock Trey because, I mean, he's a talented player. But I think it was a tough day for him. Um, a defensive back never gets called. I mean, they never commit pass interference, you know, in their mind. But I think no, any, I think anyone that watched that game could pretty much agree that Rasheed Rice is an extremely talented kid. He's he's a talented mm-hmm. receiver, um, and Trey had his work cut out for him. And I think a couple of times it probably was the smart play to make to be climbing all over him. I mean, there's obviously a big size advantage for for Rice, uh, and Mordecai was going after him. Mordecai knew, and I posted this on the board, it wasn't really a 50 50 when he's throwing it to rice thinking, okay, it's, he's got a 50% chance. He's going to catch it. It was, he's got a 50% chance. He's going to catch it or a 50% chance. Trey's going to be climbing all over him and get a flag. So there was a couple times Mordecai was at church cause he was throwing up prayers. I mean, he, nah. he really was. I mean, anyone, it, it was frustrating at some time at some points because honestly, man, there was, there were some other open guys, but he knew that Rice was so much in Trey's head. And Trey's like the biggest advocate of having amnesia. He'll he'll tell you, you have to have amnesia to be a, a good cornerback. But I think, honestly, if you set him down, I think he would probably even admit that there was times where he was making plays and it was getting frustrating for him that he was getting pass interferences. But they settled down after halftime. I think Rice only had one catch in the second half. It was And it was kind of a, another prayer. You know, he just threw it up, and Rice made a good play on it and came down with a 25-yard catch. But um, I, I I am concerned with that because we saw it against Tarleton, too. And Tarleton has some pretty good receivers. And it, Tarleton is not going to be a team that's going to give TCU a, a, a battle. They're not going to compete really well. But they're 3-1 and one right now, 
and every other team they've played, not named TCU, they've done a really good job against. And their receivers are pretty good. They've got a 6'6 kid, and they've got another 6'2 kid. And both of those guys had, you know, 100 yards receiving against TCU. So you kind of started to raise your eyebrows a little bit and think, okay, this might be a this might be a problem going forward. And with SMU, yeah, they shut down Rice, but then you had another guy, Jake Bailey, had 163 yards from the spot. Mm-hmm. So there are some definite concerns for me right now in the secondary. Um, I'm not just knowing exactly where to point fingers. I know obviously everyone's going to look at um, how Trey played. And, and even everyone loves Josh Newton. Everyone loves Josh. But even Josh got beat deep pretty bad on a play. And I can't remember if the guy just dropped it or um, I think it was a drop. But, yeah, there was a yeah, there was a drop. Yeah, and you're talking about a drop that would have been a very long play. He got yeah, he was two or three play. steps behind Josh Newton. So they're not they're not playing perfect. It's we've seen this phrase thrown around a hundred times. It's a bend don't break defense. And as TCU fans, I know it's very frustrating because we're watching the game, and I'm I'm not kidding, man. I got I was like. I was freaking Marty from Back to the Future. I felt like I traveled back in time to 2021 and was watching that defense from last year just give up third and long plays all over the field. And those third down conversions are very concerning. Those fourth down conversions are very concerning. And there was a lot of those third down conversions. I didn't do the math on it. I haven't really gone back to dive deep into it, but there were several of them that were at least third and six or longer that they converted. And that's very concerning right now. Yes, it is. So I'll be curious to see how, what we're going to do against Oklahoma. You know, the, the question I have for you, you're inside of this more than I am. What is the goal? How, how do you get pressure on the quarterback in the three, three, five? Obviously there's, there, I, mean, I think that's the, that's the, that's the Twitter fans question. How do you in the three three five that Gillespie runs, which is a new defense for us to learn? It's a new defense. I mean, I'm talking about the fans for us to understand what is the goal of this defense. How, how does Gillespie envision generating pressure with the three three five? And do we have the horses to do that? I don't think you have the defensive end that could get pressure. There's no Will McDonald. There's no Wyatt Hubert. And I mentioned those two guys because people are familiar with them because they're in the Big Twelve. Um, McDonald from Iowa State, they ran the three three five, and he led the Big 12 one year in sacks. And mm-hmm. Hubert always had his way with TCU um, from the three three five. I don't think you have those kind of weapons. I think the type of defensive ends you have right now for TCU are the kind of guys that are going to help in run support. I love Dylan Horton. I love Terrell Cooper, but those guys are more run support guys. I think the pressure is going to have to come from blitzes. Either you get it from D. Winters or get it from Johnny Hodges. We saw Johnny Hodges with the sack yesterday. Um, I think D. Winters, we, we haven't seen a whole lot of him on blitzes yet. I think they're kind of holding that a little bit. I think we'll see more of it as the, the season progresses. But I, I think the younger guys, um, Michael uh, Abikun uh, Okyoti and Paul Awaley, those two guys are extremely athletic. Those are quick edge guys, true freshmen that don't look like true freshmen. They're really good-looking players, and I think um, you ask anyone inside the program, they they are in love with those two guys. I mean, they're but they're but they're young right now. They're freshmen. They're babies, 
So give them another two years and they, they might be more of a, more of a defensive end that's going to get more pass pressure, more quarterback uh, hurries. But right now I just don't think I, I honestly, and it's not a knock on the guys. There's, there's guys that fit certain schemes and, Dylan Horton was more of a four-two-five edge rusher. He's going to get upfield and get pressure on the quarterback. Terrell Cooper was a defensive tackle in the four-two-five. He was an interior. Now he's moved out to end. He doesn't have the speed as your traditional guy that can get to a quarterback. So I think we're just going to have to be patient with it. I think by the time we look at the stat line and at the end of the year, the guy that will lead the team in sacks is probably more than likely going to be a, a linebacker. Hmm. Well, I'll be interested to see how that shapes out in the in the weeks to come because I'm I'm still learning. I'm still learning what it means to be a fan to cheer for the three three five. I'm still learning what what the responsibilities are. Where's the pressure supposed to come from? And I'm with you. I'm really curious to see what kind of blitzes they're going to dial up because if they just stand back there and let Dylan Gabriel do whatever he wants this Saturday, we're going to be in trouble. But I'll be interested to see how they go about generating pressure because I think. I think there's another level to this defense in terms of scheme that hasn't been rolled out yet. And I want to see what that looks like on the field Saturday against Oklahoma. The thing I worry about with Gabriel is his running ability. He's, yes. he's pretty quick. He's he showed flashes running the ball. I think it was I think it's been good preparation for TCU the last two games because Bo Allen at Tarleton, he's He's not out of P5, but he was recruited by several P5 schools. He's he's your typical pro-style quarterback. Tanner Mordecai is your typical pro-style quarterback. And I think it was great for them to see those two quarterbacks, and I think it was great for them, them to see the top of receivers, that level of receivers that they've seen in the last two weeks. They've gone against the big 6'6 guys. They've gone against the guys – that are really quick in the slot. They've gone against guys that they're going to get targeted at least 10 to 15 times a game in Rasheed Rice. So I, I think they've been battle-tested now. Are those guys as good as the OU receivers? No, they're not as athletic, but they're not they're not bad. I mean, they're, they're, they're good college players. And I think Dylan Gabriel is a, is a really good quarterback, but I still feel confident that if they if they can still play that same style of bend don't break and get a turnover here and there because Gabriel has been known to force passes now he hasn't turned it over he hasn't thrown an interception I don't believe for Oklahoma this year but they this this defense is used to disguise some things and some of these guys are able to get turnovers and I think it's going to be key for them to get this win against Oklahoma. Well, let's get to the end of the game there against SMU. You were down on the field. When did you go down onto the field? Uh, I went down with about three and a half minutes left in the game. It was okay. it was hot as heck down there, I promise you. Oh, I believe it, man. I, I was sweating just looking at you down there. <laughs> uh, all right, so I am looking at um, the end of the game here. I'm trying to make I'm trying to piece this back together because we were talking about it before the show. And you were you said you were down on the field. You weren't up there in the press box. I'm watching the game on TV. We get down to the end, and I'm trying to figure out what is a crazier call. That's what I'm trying to figure out. I don't even know if it's a worse call, but it's a crazier call. <coughs> there is a run by uh, – It's there's 58 seconds left. It's second and nine for the Frogs. 
Kendra Miller rushes up the middle. You know, stat line says here it was a three-yard gain. They blew the whistle early. There was, there was no forward progress stopped. He was nowhere close to being down. And he was scooting around um, the, the right tackle, I believe, had a, had a gap and just took off. And, you know, you can say the D-backs weren't there because the whistle had blown, but they blew the dang whistle early and he was still moving and there was plenty of uh, green space that had just opened up to him. But they blew that dead. And then, um, and then they come, you know, SMU calls a timeout and then they come back and they run the... Um, the shovel pass to, to QJ that gets dropped. And so it's an incomplete pass and they kill the clock. And so then they end up punting on fourth and six and they, and they get the personal foul for leaping over the protector, which is a 15 yard penalty and an automatic first down. And that ends the game. At that point, SMU has nothing left to, to, to do. They got one timeout left. Frogs um, take a knee with 36 seconds and the game is over. I'm trying to figure out what is a worse call of just blowing the whistle dead because what they were communicating on television was that as soon as Rhett Ashley started calling timeout, the play wasn't over yet, but as soon as the ball was snapped, he started calling timeout, and they just went ahead and killed the play. And so that seems like an insane call. But, what? I mean, let's just be honest. It's a freaky call to call leaping over the protector that, honestly, it may be player safety, but it had absolutely nothing to do with the play. And they were giving the ball back to SMU with, roughly 52 seconds left, and I did not want to see what was going to happen in those next 52 seconds. Crazy way to end the game. Do you not agree? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't – I didn't – I'll be honest. It was – I was watching a little bit of the entertainment on the field and a little bit of the entertainment in the stands because there were some – there were some pretty mad <laughs> – pretty mad SMU fans. So it was kind of like you, you were watching the action that you kept hearing guys in the background chirping at one another and – so you just kind of turn around and watch that a little bit, but I th- it, here's the thing: like I, I don't think I don't think either one of them really good calls. It, I, I didn't see the Kendra call, but if he's already running with the football and you're you're letting the head coach call a timeout, I mean, once the ball snapped, that's what drives me nuts. And I know you used to dabble in refereeing, and you might still do it, but nothing made me more mad as when a guy would kick a, a field goal. And the ball snapped. He's already kicking. Then you're hearing the whistles going crazy because the coach waits till like the last possible second to call a timeout to try to freeze the kicker. And the ref, you you see the snap, the kick, everything's good. And then the ref said, no, 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 no. He was calling timeout before. So I don't know when Lashley actually called that timeout. I haven't seen the replay. But I will say the leaping, what a terrible way to end the game for SMU. I'm not – Terrible uh, way for SMU. And maybe that's what inflamed the the rage a little bit for some of their fans, the way it ended. Because tell you what, if they would have got that ball back, they might have scored and tied that thing up. You know, that's man, that's, coach would have put me in. I yeah, could have thrown it over that. Yeah, point. exactly. So I, I do, I do, I do think that was kind of a uh, bush league. Way that was to kind end, of bush. Yeah, bush league way to end the game. You know, if the guy wants to do a leap over you, hit his butt and make him do about three cartwheels in the air if he wants to do, pull that crap. That's right. So. That's what I said. <laughs> but I, I, now, I think that's a weird rule. Was- I didn't know that was a rule until uh, until after the play. I was kind of – me and Drew Davison and Dean Straka were down there. It's like, what happened? It's like, yeah, we didn't really know that that was a penalty. And it was – you know, you get the ball back, you down it, and then Lashley calls a timeout. And we're like, I don't know. Is he hoping that for whatever reason there's a bad center quarterback exchange while they're kneeling or what? What's the – 
what's the whole point of calling a timeout there other than to delay um, just the whole the whole game? I mean, I just I didn't get it. So, um, but yeah. Well, let me let let me let me speak up for officials here. I know that's like you know speaking up for the Russians or something, but <laughs> you know if you're going to cover the sport and you're going to definitely coach the sport, we should know the rules to the sport. And that is a 15 yard penalty. And it is about player safety and it is an automatic first down and things that have automatic first downs are like, we want to prevent this with everything that we have. And so they're really trying to cut down on that. And um, it, it, Tough call, but, you know, there's no such thing as an obscure rule. Yeah. It's a rule or it's not a rule, and it's a rule, and SMU's special teams coach should just get fired. That's what I say. If they're not teaching them not to leave, he should just be fired, put out on the street. Um, maybe that's a little As hard. a referee, when, when you know a coach has one timeout left and mm-hmm. everyone's kneeling and he's just calling mm-hmm. a timeout and he's prolonging the, the inevitable, do you get mad at yeah. that coach? Well, when they're when they're when they're when they're prolonging the inevitable, when it's not a when it's a one score game, I get it. I actually do. I understand that, and I, I was kind of taught this. This is what it was. If it's a one score game, you have to play it to to the end. Even even taking a knee, you gotta. There's because crazy things can happen. But if it's more than a one score game and they're being an a hole, I, I mean, I've heard coaches ask for a timeout. I'm like, coach, I didn't hear you. Like when it's you know twenty one to nothing or. I've been in that spot. I'm like, coach, I didn't hear you. And when when they're icing the kicker, I will say, coach, I need you to tell me in advance. I'm going to call a timeout, and that way I'll be ready for it. And um, you stand right next to me, and you be as close to me as possible. But if you're if you're more than five yards away, one, it's really loud, and two, I'm old and I can't hear you. And if you don't tell, if you don't communicate with me, I can't be proactive. And I, I've had coaches that you know try to call timeout 15 yards down the field, and like. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. And I went over in pregame what my expectations were. Yeah. So that's where I'm at on that. Yeah. It's it's like you tell your kids and your spouse tells you communication is the key to a healthy relationship. So, oh. all right. Well, moving on from all of that, if the Frogs, you know, do get a win, 42-34, get this game behind us. I'm hoping it's not on the schedule going forward, but I know it's going to be there for a few more years. The Frogs got Oklahoma this week. In the minutes that we have left, let's let's preview that game for just a tad, and then I want to get to two more games that were in the Big Twelve that got me pretty pumped hey, up. I, I forgot, I forgot. I, w- I want to mention this because before we get to o- Oklahoma, because I, I think some guys would would want to know this. How surprising was it for you to look at my Twitter and see an emotional Sonny Dykes talking about Max Duggan? All right, we need we need to talk about that. So I I saw it in your feed. You've got the you've got the game thread running and where you're posting on what's going on and things that maybe we can't see and you're in the press box and what you're hearing. And you said, I've just got this video, I'm gonna post it on Twitter. And Sonny Dykes got really emotional talking about Max Duggan. If you have not watched this and you are a frog fan, you've got well, first of all, you need to join hornfrogblitz.com. But you need to go to Jeremy's Twitter. I retweeted it for you. And, man, it it was – I'm a little jaded at this moment, and I'm a little cynical about coaches as the builders of men when we're handing out these $1.3 billion contracts in this sport where coaches are making $7 million. 
But to hear Sonny Dykes say, I came in, Max Duggan lost his job fair and square. He get, comes back when Chandler gets injured, and he does he doesn't miss a beat. He doesn't he isn't negative. He's not hiding out in the back of the practice. He's doing everything right. And he comes in and all he's done is lead us to victory. And he said, These are the things I want my son to know. Even my cold, cold heart got moved by that statement. And then to see him get emotional to know, you know, this transition had to be really hard for Max. Yeah. Max loved Sonny Cumby. Max loved Gary Patterson. They recruited him out of Big Ten country with big programs that wanted him. And he came to Texas and they invested in him and they believed in him. And then they had this massive change. The next thing you know, he's the backup quarterback his senior year. This is when he's supposed to be fighting to become all Big 12 quarterback. And to see Sonny kind of give a window into the character of who Max is, it said a lot to me about Max. But I also, I just want to say this cautiously, it said a lot to me about who Sonny Dykes is. Yeah. And that he has a larger view than than winning. And we all know that he will he will be hired or fired on winning. But he has a bigger view of it than that. And that really got to me. And I appreciated that. You were sitting there. What did you see? It was crazy because me and, me and Jeff Wilson were sitting beside each other. And Drew was a couple seats back. And Drew's the one that kind of asked the question about really just Max developing as a quarterback. And I, it, you could barely hear the question on the video. Um, you'd have to go to the, the full video where I posted because I cut accidentally cut out when he said hey, he's very proud of Max on Twitter. Um, but if you watch the full video that I posted on on the site, you should see it and, and hear it. But me and Jeff were we're you know literally five feet away from him, and he's talking. And I noticed immediately. I was like, "Man, he looks like he's getting kind of teary eyed." And Jeff and I were talking about this afterwards. It's like I asked him. I said, "Jeff, did you see the same thing I did? Like, did, did you see that his eyes were getting watery?" And he's like, "Yeah, man, it was kind of." kind of crazy. And then, you know, all, all of us have obviously seen the emotion now, but I think that was about as genuine as you can, you can get. And I think that's why you hear so many reports about the players um, blocking him, blocking the staff, buying in. I think it was, and maybe it's just one of those deals too, where maybe Sonny was emotional for this win. Maybe Sonny was emotional for some of the things, and maybe that was the thing that got him, to show that emotion and just talking about a tremendous player like, like Max and, and, and even more importantly, a tremendous person like Max. Um, because like you mentioned, the guy's been through it all. He's been a three-year starter. Everyone that is a TCU fan knows who the heck Max Duggan is. Although several of them still call him Dugan. Um, but, but well, you know, one other thing, I mean, let's just, let's just be really blunt here. Max Duggan has, unfortunately carried a lot of the blame for these yeah, losses absolutely. to SMU that were coached by Sonny Dykes. And for Sonny to be able to come in and coach, you know, promote uh, Chandler Morris, who won the job fair and square, and then to see uh, Max get that moment, he had to feel good for him because Sonny Dykes knows, you know, they, they didn't lose them. They didn't beat TCU because Max Duggan was bad. They beat TCU because they outcoached them and they got more out of their athletes. Yeah. And he saw a freshman that took him to the wire um, especially that 19 game, he caught way too much flack for that game, even though he was unpolished and still learning how to play the game. And I have a feeling some of those dynamics of 
being able to help a young man get this moment that had kind of been robbed from him for so long. I have a feeling that played into it as well. I might, I might be reaching, but I don't think I am. Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. And it was, it was a cool, it was a cool moment to see because you, like I said, you get, you get a, a glimpse of what people inside the program have seen everyone. And I've joked about this and I'm, and, and I'm not knocking Gary. Um, I've, been around coach Patterson a very long time. And, and uh, you know, I've said a lot of great things about him over the years, but it's, you know, it, there was, there was a time that Gary needed to, to, to move on. And, and I've joked about it several times that Sonny got a list of everything Gary did wrong and just did the opposite. And he was winning people over that way. He was winning people over, the uh, the the uh, the former players, the former players who never thought in their in their wildest dreams that they would be able to go to practice, and and I know Gary and Kelsey did a tremendous job of trying to make it feel like family, but I've had so many people tell me that man, they feel welcome now. They just feel welcome to be part of this program, and I think when you see that video. And you see the raw side of Sonny Dykes and emotional, not, it wasn't something that people tugged at his heartstrings over Max Duggan. Like, Hey man, he's, he came back from a heart illness and everything else. And he's, yeah. you know, there was nothing that really tugged on his heart except for the fact that Max has overcome so many things. And he's been around so many players and just the way Max has responded to that adversity and we all know it. We all know Max is a lion. Max is a leader. And every one of those players on the team would run through a brick wall for him or they'd line up in front of him so no one could get to him. And just to see your head coach have that same type of emotion. And even Josh Newton. Josh Newton, he wasn't emotional about it, but he he just – he loves Max Duggan, you know. And he talked about the other quarterbacks as well, you know, of course, and said that they feel like they can win with all of them. But – there's a special place in a lot of people's hearts for, you know, for Max Duggan. And I, you know, for me, I'm going to be sad to see him, see him leave when he leaves because I've known Max since high school. I mean, I went to freaking Iowa to go see this kid play and I want, and you and I had this conversation a couple weeks ago. What, what we both say, we said we wanted nothing more than for Max to set the world on fire and make this, a quarterback controversy. And I don't even think it's a controversy right now. I think he's done so good over these last two games that we're, that's the reason why I think even if Chandler was healthy, we'd still see Max roll out there because he's done what the people that love Max Duggan, the people that know he can be successful. He's done everything that they'd hoped he would do these last two games. Absolutely. And I want to see more of it because he's earned it. And he's, he's not earned it from sentimentality. He's earned it on the field. And I think there was a culmination of that that really hit Sonny Dykes in that moment of, you know, perseverance, of, of teamwork, of being a, a great team player. And, we, you know, every one of us that has ever coached fifth grade football, Jeremy, what do we, what do we tell every kid sitting on the bench? You're one play away right. from being the starter. You're one play away. That one play happened in Colorado. And what did Max Duggan do? He went in and led the team to blow the doors off of them in the second half, and all they've done is win since then. And oh. as a fifth-grade coach, you tell them them kids, please have your mom and dad stop emailing me or texting me about playing time. Yes, and, and yes, that's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, please. Did, did you ever, when you ever did the drafts, when you got down to the end, did you just draft not on talent, but on parents? No, I mean, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't have drafts um, because what we had was protects. We had 10 or 11 protects. And then we just had cordial meetings with the other coach said, Hey, this kid, I know his mom really well or his dad really well, probably needs to be with me and same vice versa. You know, there's, there's yeah. kids I didn't take cause I, because of their parents and there's kids that I did take because of their parents. Yeah. That's what I did. And we, when we got, when we really got down to the end, we were like, all right, whose mom's going to run the carpool to pick up the kid that can't get to practice on time or get to oh, the game on time? I'll guarantee you, I drafted a kid one year just because his mom, I knew his team, she would be team mom because she was yes, awesome. Yes, absolutely. She was awesome. Yeah. I said, I, I got to have that kid because of the because yeah. of the team mom. Absolutely. Because finding a absolutely. team mom for Pee Wee football is very hard. Oh, it is. It's, you, it's easy. It's easier to get a tight end. It's it's easier to get a tight end that can catch in fifth grade than it is a team mom that'll fill the water jugs, run the carpool, and make sure everybody's uh, had their plays by the end of the first half. We're veering off. We veered off. Pikes. We are veering we're, off. We're, we're this is this is old right man. Or this is old man conversation. All these kids listening are like, "What in the hell are they talking about?" So, all right. Well, we try to keep this to an hour, so let's just hit these three things real okay. quick. What are we going to see against Oklahoma? What do you got? I think it's going to be high scoring, man. I think I, I still I'm still shocked that Kansas State was able to score 41. Oh, in, in a week a week prior to that, they lost to to Tulane, 17 to 10. I know. So Tulane has a transitive win over Oklahoma. Yeah, basically. So I think mm-hmm. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be who has the better execution and doesn't turn the ball over. I know it sounds cliche, but I think I've seen enough of the offense to where I, I believe that Max can get it done, throw on the ball if they decide to stack the box and try to stop Kendra in that running game, and if they try to force uh, you know, Max to to throw the ball, I think he's going to be fine. I think the ball placement is has been there the last two games. I don't think he's rushed into bad decisions and guess what if they take the uh if they take the pass away i trust the running backs and the offensive line to get it done i really do because here's the thing after watching taylor martinez run all over their butts last night that would be adrian martinez. adrian sorry i adrian. know the, the nebraska quarterback named martinez yes. that loves to run the zone read and, and run like crazy i get it so after i see this martinez kid run all over him i'm thinking okay this kid's pretty fast but he's not as fast as max and then if Max gets winded, how about you bring Sam Jackson in and let him run all over the place? So I, yeah. I think offensively they're going to be able to to have uh, fireworks just as much as Oklahoma. It's going to be mm-hmm. who's going to come down and make the plays in the end defensively because I, I, I think it's going to be just like the OU-Kansas State game. I think it's going to be in the 30s, possibly in the 40s, and who makes, who makes the least amount of mistakes. I, I hope – Beyond anything, I wish this was a night game. I really do because I like night games at the Carter. But I also like 11 a.m. games for the fact that my work day gets done sooner. And I like I don't like waiting all day to watch football. I like I like no. getting up, getting early, and, and getting to the, the stadium early and watching 11 a.m. But just for aesthetic purposes, I wish this was a night game because I think the crowd would have been a little bit more hyped into it. But I think the crowd's going to be hyped and – 
I'm going to call for TCU to upset OU. I really feel confident okay. about it. All right. Uh, the only thing I want to know is how many receiving yards do Weiss and Mims have? If they if they can contain them, they're going to get theirs. But if they can contain them, I think the Frogs got a strong strong chance to here's, win this game. Here's the thing: I think I think Rasheed Rice is better than Theo Weiss. I really do. Do you think Theo Weiss is a typical North Dallas wide receiver that's got great stats but doesn't like getting hit in the mouth? <laughs> no, I think he's. I mean, he's he's a big body guy and he can make catches. Uh, you know, I, I had a good time watching Theo as he was coming up through the process. But oh, um, I'm not knocking. No, no, I'm no. just saying that that's the stereotype. Yeah, yeah. I just think yeah. I think Rice is more. You know, the thing about Rice, I, I was as I was watching him, I was like, man, I cannot believe the old staff didn't offer him. But I know why they didn't offer him. There was a lot of questions of why Rasheed Rice did not get offered. Do you want to hear that reason why? Yeah, I'm all. I'll here. give you three numbers. Four. Eight two. Tell me what that means. That was his forty time at TCU's camp, where they wanted to see uh, how fast it could be to see if he can get an offer. Four eight two. Okay. And I remember that. I remember having discussions about why he wasn't getting an offer. He's very. But when I was watching him run the other day, he's obviously gotten a lot faster because he didn't have any problem getting wide open. So I, that's what I was saying earlier about being battle tested. I think. Them seeing a guy like Rice is going to help them against players like Weiss. But Mims, after seeing Jake Bailey go for 163 from the slot and the way they move Mims around, I, I really worry about Mims. Mims can take the top off the defense. He can run really good routes. He catches just about anything. And that's the guy that I feel like they're going to have the biggest problem stopping. Okay. Well, we will find out. You want to give me a prediction? I'll give you mine. I'm going to say 41 to 37 TCU. 41 37 TCU. All right, I'm going 38 35 Texas Christian University Horn Frogs. All right. All right. That's what I got. That's what I got. Cool. There's going to be a dramatic missed field goal or blocked field goal or turnover with like, you know, eight, you know, something dramatic at the end. The defense is going to come up and ice the game, and the fans are going to rush the field. Um, and then the Frogs are going to be 4-0 and you know, with their biggest hurdle, in theory, going into the rest of the Big 12. Though I think Oklahoma State is favored to win the Big 12 right now. They're, they're in the driver's seat, in my opinion. Hey, it's a so. tough two-week stretch, OU and then Kansas, right? Yep. Well, let's get to that. I got two more games I want to highlight before we, get, right. we, we wrap up. So, as we all predicted in, in uh, at the beginning of the season, the Kansas Jayhawks are 4-0. and um, Let me just dump on game day. Game day should have been there for Kansas in Lawrence with an actual literal sellout. Um, Kansas versus Duke in a game that's not Bill Self against Mike Krzyzewski, where everybody, the whole country is watching, is, is a miracle in and of itself. But... What what else can you say about Lance Leipold in the in the in the team that he has put together? In not even you know you, people forget, man, he showed up after spring practice in twenty one, yeah. and he gets a 35-27 win over Duke. That's a Mike Elko coached Duke team that was three and zero going into this game. And I, I know they're not beating Alabama or Ohio State, but this is a game where even Kansas would would lay an egg in the past. Yeah. I, I'm just happy for their fans. Because, I mean, like, I know they're spoiled rotten in basketball, but I'm just happy because somewhere out there, there has been a Kansas football fan that has been following this for the last 10 years and had to put up with 
you know, seasons where you could count the first down, you know, games where you could count the first downs without taking your shoes off. And I'm just happy for him. Daniels is an amazing quarterback. Yeah. This yeah. is not a fluke. This is not that they had a ball break their way to get to where they are. This is a competitive program that's going to go to a bowl in Lance's first full season. I think it's good for Kansas. It's good for the Big 12. And whenever you talk about who the worst Power 5 teams are anymore, no, nobody's talking about the Big 12. Nobody's talking about how you got one gimme um, out of the gate. So I feel real. I, I, I just – I like to see people that have been crapped on finally get a break, and Kansas has gotten. Yeah, they're the they're the story of college football right now. I really think so. Yeah, and if you look at the latest AP poll, they are they are the number one others receiving vote. They are. They should they are be in the top twenty five. Yeah, they are one spot from the top twenty five. And Sonny, Sonny said this two weeks ago. He said, "I wouldn't be surprised by the time we play them that they're going to be in the top twenty five. So, oh, I wouldn't either. I would not be surprised if by the time they play them, they're in the top 25 either. All right, I'm going to do this exciting thing that you're not supposed to do on a podcast. I'm pulling up their schedule. Uh, all right, yeah, they got Iowa State this weekend and then at home, and then they have TCU. So they got Iowa State, and then they've got TCU, both back-to-back home games. So Yeah, so what I, See, remember what I said a few weeks ago, I'm going to be excited to finally watch this Kansas State-Kansas game. You know, I always, like, oh, I always know. like watching those – the, the rivalry games and mm-hmm. Kansas state has just owned them. But I mean, even going back to last year, I mean, they got that big win down at Texas and mm-hmm. they played TCU really, really hard last year in Fort Worth. They did. So this, this is definitely going to be a game that hopefully you don't put so much emotion into beating Oklahoma and you don't have anything left in the tank for, for Kansas because that's the type of game. And, you can go up there to Lawrence, and next thing you know, you might lose by two touchdowns. And holy crap, did I just say that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy to even say it that way. But if you've if you've spent any time watching Kansas, you know they're extremely well coached right now. And the cynics for the Jayhawks got to be hoping that maybe they slip up somewhere so a team like Cough Cough Nebraska doesn't come calling and try to get mm-hmm. get him out of Lawrence right away. You know, you couldn't pay me to take that Nebraska job, and they're going to try to pay you to take that Nebraska well, job. There's no way in the world you could pay me. I'll take you, Gary. Yeah, well, you know, Georgia Tech just opened, so I'll be curious to see who goes there. Maybe you Gary think Colorado can go to has Tech. not let go of their coach yet. I know they just don't have the money or the interest. Well, their, their AD, fans, their AD, put that statement out, and. uh they were hoping that they were going to be be playing better against UCLA. And what the, what they lose by forty two to seventeen, something like that. Yeah, they got the doors blown off them. Yep, forty five. They've had three different. They've started three different quarterbacks. Yeah, they started McCallum's boy the other day. Mm-hmm. Oh. True freshman. All right. Well, let's let's close out on this. I was not high on the Joey McGuire hire. I thought it was a little gimmicky. Um, I thought he might be in over his up over his skis a little bit. I thought, you know, you can't rah-rah and cheer your way to recruiting victories in Lubbock. I'm here to eat the crow. Man, I was wrong. They they did lose by 10 points to a good NC State team that's undefeated and probably going to be the only one that can take a swing at Clemson in the ACC. But Texas Tech beats Texas 37 to 33 out there in Lubbock in an exciting overtime game. 
the, the Red Raiders try to give it away there at the end and, for, and you know, the Longhorns forced overtime. But all I'm looking at now is uh, Texas is two and two. They got everybody else in the Big 12 coming their way. They've already got a loss in the Big 12. There's no guarantee victory other than maybe West Virginia. Uh, I would, I don't know. I'm open to taking a bet about Texas going five and seven and not making a bowl again because I was excited to be pulling for the Red Raiders to watch them beat Texas. I was pulling for Texas Tech. Can you believe that? I was listening to to the game on the way home from Dallas. Craig, Craig Way was very defeated. Yes. You know, Craig is one of the best. He's not near as good oh, as he's great. Brian Estridge, but he's he's been calling Texas games forever. And, you know, the excitement he has when Texas does something good, but when they do something bad, man, it, it is in his voice and – you could you could just really really hear the deflation um, coming out coming out of Craig because who would have thought who would have thought you hand off the ball to Bijan Robinson and he fumbles and that's the way you're going to have a chance to win the game when the best player on yeah. their roster I mean he fumbled what one time in all of 2021 but yep you know I'll say this and for those people that do not like Texas Tech just go ahead and click the end button now because what you're about to listen to is probably not going to be music to your ears, but Joey McGuire, you know, I, I really feel that was a great hire for them. And like you mentioned, Jeff, he's, he's a raw, raw guy, you know, wants to, he, he knows every single coach and cliche in the book. Uh, I'm t- there's mm-hmm. not one thing that a coach has said that Joey McGuire hasn't said before. You know, it's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size yes. of the fight. Yes. I mean, it, it's, he's got them all. Um, we're just going to control what we control. <laughs> you know, when we get out there between the lines, everybody's equal. And so. I think, you know, people were turned off by him because in his press conference, he's yelling Raider and getting the people to say power. And, you know, he, he is a raw, raw guy. And I know Joey, I've, I've known him for a very long time. Just being, being in the high school recruiting game, he was always tremendous, tremendous to, people in my profession, the media, um, whether you're from the newspaper, whether you're from rivals or 24 seven or scout back in the day or ESPN, he was always tremendous to us. Um, heck man, I remember when he coached at Baylor, I walked down to the field and he just happened to be walking up the visitor's tunnel and we gave each other a hug and sat there. He's got a game to coach in less than 30 minutes. And he took five minutes out of his day to talk to me and ask me about my family and how I've been. And, of course, I saw him over the summer up at one of TCU's mega camps, and same same kind of guy. I mean, he's just he's a genuine guy. Um, and I know for for people that root TCU and hate Texas Tech, they don't they don't like that. But he's a lot like when we talk about Baylor and Dave Aranda. You know, you want to hate Baylor, but man, Dave Aranda just seems like a really good guy. You wanted to hate him when they had Matt Rule, but Matt Rule seemed like a really good guy. And that's kind of the the thing I, I should tell people about Joey McGuire. Now he he rubs people the wrong way just because of his excitement. He, he he's a overly excited guy, but that is Joey. That is Joey to a T. He's been like that for as long as I've known him, and he's carried that from the high school game into the college game. And he's he's creating that same kind of success with him being a head coach. Do I think Texas Tech's going to become a perennial eight, nine, 10, 11 win type of program every year. I don't know, 
Um, but if he can get some guys to go up there to follow him to Lubbock, it's a very hard place to recruit, but they've, they've already started to pour in a lot of money financially to do renovations up there to build um, more things for the athletics pro- program. He's going to have, he's going to have the tools that he needs to recruit players. And if they keep winning games like they do against Texas and, and, and steals another one somewhere, he's going to, he's going to have a chance to build something big up there. But I'll say this, they did a, they, they hired the right guy for the, for the job up there at Texas tech and TCU hired the absolute right guy for, for their, for their program and hiring Sonny Dykes. So it's going to be fun to watch those two guys over the next couple years to see how they elevate their programs because they're taking over basically the same type of programs in the same, same place. And, uh, I think it's going to be extremely fun to watch. Yeah. Well, we will see it all unfold. The frogs will get um, first weekend in November. The frogs have tech, so we'll see how see see where both programs stand with first year head coaches at their program respective programs. See how October treats both these teams. Well, Jeremy, as always, it is good to catch up after a frog win. Um, anything else to share with our listeners before we wrap up? I think we're good, man. Almost at a an hour and ten minutes. We're giving them extra. We're giving them free dessert here with that extra ten minutes. They, they've got the course, the full course meal, and we're giving them a we're giving them a good dessert here. That's right. Well, if you want to give us a tip, if you haven't yet, go to hornfrogblitz.com and sign up for all of the latest on our message board. Jeremy Clark can keep you informed of everything going on in between, you know, on the field off the field, in the locker room, and for our fans that I like to call the addicts, what's going on in the recruiting trail? Uh, recruiting never takes a break. Even in the, at the peak of the season, the staff are recruiting, they're DMing, they're, they're connecting, and we'll, you never know when, it, when a recruitment's going to break or a commitment's going to pop. So if you want to stay uh, focused not only on what's going on on this historic first season of the Sunny Dykes era, if you want to uh, get an early uh, look at who's going to be on the field next year, the years to come, you need to go to hornfrogblitz.com, TCU 24-7, sign up, and you will we'll keep you in posted on everything going on inside of this program. So for Jeremy Clark, I am Jeff Mitchell. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Frogcast.